Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. On Commons People this week, has Labour gone too far with its NHS campaigning? We need a government that puts the NHS first. Why are Tory MPs giving Downing Street such a headache over business rates? We're in danger of, of killing the golden goose. And just how much did Theresa May know about the suicide bomber given a million pound of taxpayers' money? Would he agree that people across the country will feel sickened at the idea of large payments being made to someone who may have been involved in serious terrorist Activity. All this and more on Commons People. Hello and welcome to Commons People, the Huffington Post politics podcast. Joining me this week, we have executive editor Paul War. Hello, Paul. Hello. We have Ned Simons. Hello. And we unfortunately do not have Martha as she is poorly, so you're stuck with uh, the three blokes, I'm afraid, listeners. Listener, even. Anyway, let's crack on. <laughs> I Another... was going to say musketeers. Sorry? I was going to say musketeers. You nearly said brexiteers. I was going to say yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you can be... I'm probably Boris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, definitely. Can I be DD? If, sure, that means you're Liam Fox. <laughs> Great. Well, explains a lot. I saw Boris yesterday wandering around the commons that is past. Couldn't get into somewhere. Just wandering around, the Foreign Secretary oh. unable to find his pass. Yeah. Like a metaphor there for Brexit? Probably. Something. This is all good, isn't it? Should we crack on? Yeah, it yeah. is. Anyway, another week, another NHS crisis. On Monday, the British Medical Association declared the health system was at breaking point as the number of overnight hospital beds in English hospitals has dropped by a fifth over the last 10 years. And in a week of two crucial by-elections, Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn was keen to make the NHS front and centre of his party's campaigns. Here he is at PMQs on Wednesday. When hospitals are struggling to provide essential care, why is the Prime Minister's government cutting the number of beds in our National Health Service? Prime Minister. Thanks to the... Medical advances to the use of technology, to the quality of care. What we see, what we see in uh, hospital stays, is actually that the average length of time for staying in hospital has virtually halved since the year 2000. But let's actually look at Labour's record on this issue. In, in the last six years of the last Labour government. 25,000 hospital beds were cut. But we don't, we don't even need to go as far back as that. Let's just look at what was Labour's policy before the last election. Because before the last election, the Right Honourable Member for Lee, a former Labour a Shadow Health Secretary, said the following. What I'd cut are hospital beds. Labour policy cut hospital beds. However, Labour has come in for criticism for how it is using the NHS in the campaigns after putting out a leaflet in Copeland claiming babies will die if the Tories win the seat. 
Conservative MP Will Quince, whose son was stillborn in 2014, branded the campaign as disgusting. Now, as we record this podcast, people are going to the polls in Copeland and Stokes. So by the time, I know people listen instantly, you know, they get it. If you're listening over the weekend, you know, you, you'll know the result of this. So everything we say is utterly pointless. <laughs> absolutely not. But Never. Let's talk about the NHS in this context, because it's pretty much all the Labour Party have got to go on at the moment, right? And they, the, they've been using it in these campaigns. It's by far the strongest card. But as we saw in 2015, it's not enough. You know, I mean, David Cameron famously said... Ed Miliband was trying to weaponize the NHS. And if you're seen to exploit his tragedy, if you exploit the, the worst bits of the NHS, then there is a, a bit of a kickback from the public. The real problem for Labour is you can't just have the NHS uh, when you're when you're campaigning in a general election or a by-election. You've got to have a bigger message about your vision for Britain, you know, the economy, how safe is it in your hands, and also the credibility of your leader. In particularly in an age of Brexit and how, what are you going to do about Brexit? Are you going to make it a success? And all, lots of those scores, Labour is still amongst the public way behind. Is there a difference, though, I mean, between a by-election and a general election? I mean, it's right that you can't just have the NHS for a general election, but is it enough in, in, a, in one by-election, in this particular by-election, with the issues around the, hosp- the local hospital? So is the tactics just, well, we know it's not going to work just this in 2020, but you know what, we need to win this. Yeah, I mean, so normally, just, it doesn't you're matter. Right. Just, we'll just do this. Normally, that- under normal circumstances, you're right. I think this would be a really strong um, local campaign, save the hospital, turn the by-election into mm. a referendum on that hospital. Unfortunately, there's a couple of things. One is how crass and how heavy-handed they've been doing. I mean, to be honest, I think low politics does work sometimes, so that's not necessarily an issue. The bigger issue, I think, is... Um, more about what does Labour want to say about everything else. And if you try and turn it into a referendum on this local hospital, then you're ignoring the big issue if you live in Copeland, which is nuclear. If your job relies on nuclear, in a way, it's slightly marginal whether or not you, the, the maternity unit downgrades to a you know a consultant-led unit or a midwife-led unit. You're not going to be in having a job. Uh, and, and the thing and, about maternity and, units is that they're very important if you're about to have a baby. Exactly. But if you're not about to have a baby, and that's, uh, you know, a lot of, say, population under the age of 18 and 25, they're the age of 40, you've already had it. I mean, that's not yep. going to be the main thing that gets you out of bed, is it? Exactly. If you're, if you're, a, if you're a, a, a slightly older voter, say you're in your 50s and you're a bloke or you're a, a woman in, in Copeland, then all right, you might worry about the, the, the hospital for your children and grandchildren, but actually it doesn't have a direct impact on your daily life. If you're in your 50s and you're working at Sellafield and you look like the, there's a job at the new nuclear power plant that might not be happening because Jeremy Corbyn doesn't like it, then you might stay at home. One of the things that Will Quint said in his blog was he doesn't he had no objection to campaigning on the issue of maternity services, but to put out the language, babies will die, mothers will die. And he makes the point, what happened to Jeremy Corbyn's kind of gentler politics and you know mm. like, so i put the question to you guys what has happened to jeremy corbyn's kind of gentler politics because this is exactly the kind of thing which i mean it's not kind well, or gentle to say if you vote for the tories your babies will die it, right is it isn't it the same it's always been done in the sense that jeremy corbyn himself is very kind of calmly spoken most of the time but it's always you know other people that do the kind of rougher stuff i mean if you look through his leadership campaigns and everything you know you get people being much more robust let's say or more extreme than that um, and then Corbyn himself will come on and not act like that. So I think, if, if anything, it's in keeping with, with how um, Labour's been acting. But also, there's another element to the Jeremy Corbyn's politics, which is, don't forget, it's, it is 
passive aggressive in the sense that all right he, he's got a very nice sort of cardigan mm. approach to and cuddly approach to politics you know him personally but his beliefs are aggressively anti-Tory and that often means that whether it's on nuclear power whether it's on an NHS that the Tories are basically evil you know I mean let's not forget that a lot of people on the left think Tories are evil you know they don't hide it they don't joke about it they genuinely There's think There's a famous quote about Tories being vermin isn't there? Exactly from, uh, Was it from Nybevin? Yeah and the fact is a lot of people on the left really genuinely think that the problem I think with this case is we haven't heard for example from the Royal College of Midwives why hasn't the Tories been smart enough to actually approach them and say actually they're saying that if if there's no consultant in this hospital that somehow midwives being in charge it's going to be less safe the midwives might say actually the, the statistics and the evidence shows it's not less safe so I mean are we now at the stage where a lot because a lot of political leaders start off their their leadership with their campaign, you know, Cameron's big society or hugger hoodie. You never said hugger hoodie, but you know, it was mm. that that kind of ethos, right? And now um, Miliband had this kind of one nation thing for like five minutes, and he dropped it. Is is kind of gentle politics? Is that even if it was ever alive, is it dead now? Is it the end of kind of gentle politics now? I don't know. I, I think that there's a danger in an increasingly polarized world, particularly on Twitter and everywhere else, that you know. Politicians can can just fuel that by being quite aggressive and being strident. I, I tend to think the public, for all their faults, just like politicians for all their faults, prefer it when people try and get on and try and actually fix things. That's why, although the Lib Dems got hammered over the coalition, on the whole, in lots of polls, people quite liked the coalition because they thought, oh, well, they're just trying to get on with it. Um, you know, there was that constant tension between... Uh, what the public felt about the Lib Dems, what they felt about the coalition. And I think most people, let's be honest, are roughly in the centre. They don't really think about politics. And they just want them... It, Brexit is a good example. We can talk about it later. They just want people to get on with it. Well, going on to get on with that, does lead actually into the social care debate. Now, this is something which Jeremy Corbyn kind of hinted at in PMQs, talking about this lack of money for social care. And some of the Labour benches were shouting, ask her again, ask her again, because she wasn't able to answer yeah. on social care. Now, there is this group that Norman Lamb, a Lib Dem former health minister, has set up this cross-party group that was supposed to have a meeting this week um, with um, Theresa May's health advisor to discuss social care. It was cancelled and moved till after the budget. And they were thinking, oh, does this mean... We're going to get some, you know, we're going to get some money in the budget for social care. But one of the interesting things is, I've been speaking to a lot of MPs in this group, and a lot of the, the the Tory MPs in this group say, you know, we're always told we need to work together on the NHS to solve it. But the party that doesn't want to work with us is Labour, because the only um, the only weapon they've got is the NHS. And if they start seeming to be working with those quote unquote evil Tories, then they've got nowhere to go. So actually, the perception seems to be. The Tories don't want to work with Labour, but it seems to be the other way around. I mean, is that... Is that I fair? think it is a difficulty for Labour that if you want to become a government, you've got to have solutions and you can't just oppose all the time. So can't say, look, everything you're doing is awful. And coming up with some kind of cross-party consensus on social care, how you fund the NHS long term, those are the kind of things that actually, for normal people, those are things that will really matter in politics. And I think that actually... On social care, there is clearly a bit more movement. Health Service Journal only today have got an exclusive suggesting that actually Theresa May is going to dole out a bit more cash. And it's now a question of just how that is monitored and whether local councils will actually be subject to uh, a new watchdog to make sure the cash is delivered properly. So there is a bit of give. but And Labour normally should be taking credit for that. And so should Jeremy Corbyn saying, look, we pushed you really hard on that. But, but will they get any credit? Isn't that the problem, though, if into the idea of working together for parties? It's kind of easier or better to do that if you're the governing party because you work with the opposition, but you're the ones that put that that kind of collective agreement into 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 effect. 
So then when you can point back at it and say, look, we did that and quietly forget the fact that it was agreed with Labour, the Dems, the SNP, whoever. Whereas if you're opposition, yeah, absolutely. You, you might get the right result, but you can't really run on it. You can't claim you did it. But, but that, equally, that all comes down to putting politics above sure. and beyond the national interest, doesn't it? Just, uh, I, th yeah. I think there is a benefit for politicians who say, look, we're doing this out of the national interest around the party interest. If party interests coincide with that, that's great. And it's that sense of that working in the national interest, I think it always pays off long term. You talked about the, the budget there, and it seems that uh, Tory MPs have managed to stop talking about Brexit long enough this week to focus on the budget. And one of the issues in there is business rates. Uh, the tax, which is based on the value of business premises, has been revalued for the first time since 2010, and, and bills are going out, uh, I think, beginning of, beginning of next week, maybe end of this week. Uh, while three quarters of businesses are expecting to see the amount they have to pay either stay the same or fall, a quarter have been hit with an increase, some as high as 400%, apparently. Uh, Tory backbenchers, particularly those in the South East, are urging the Chancellor to give some kind of relief in his upcoming budget. Here's Tory MP Andrew Bridgen on the BBC's Victoria Derbyshire show. Something we should all remember is that all the wealth of our country that pays for our public sectors and those of us who work in in the, uh, the public sector's wages is generated from business and commerce. We've already shifted huge amounts of uh, burden onto business. You've got the national living wage, you've got uh, huge pension provisions going forward, and now we've got um, um, business rate rises. At the end of the day, we're in danger of, of killing the golden goose of economic growth. And what growth. did he say? But the pressure seems to be paying off, and only last night Community Secretary Sajid Javid confirmed that more needs to be done to level the playing field and make the system fairer. So, we've already had a budget U-turn before the budget, so it's like George Osborne's back in charge, which is good. But this business rate stuff sort of, it sort of came from nowhere, didn't it? It wasn't something which was on the horizon. Then last week, people started reporting it. And this week, Chancellor's in front of his backbench MPs, and everyone's asking about it, and he's having to find a bit more money to help. But you know what it shows? It shows the power of the South over the North. This is a big issue in London and the South East. Um, the North is actually benefiting from this, you know, as the government keeps trying to say and keeps not getting heard. You know, two thirds of businesses are actually, or more than that, are going to benefit from these business rate changes. They're going to see cuts in their bills. So that's why you're going to see people up north in, in lots of different places in the Midlands. Businesses are going to be better off. Unfortunately, uh, they don't have obviously a stronger voice as a lot of the, the Tory MPs in the South and Labour MPs in London. And that's a sort of lethal cocktail for the Treasury because, you know, Theresa May herself has a constituency in the South. And I'm told that this has come up on the doorstep in her own seat in the last couple of weeks. And she's very alive to it. And during half term, it raised again. Sadie Javid was on holiday. And a lot of colleagues thought that was a, a, a mistake, although no one thinks no one should not have a holiday if you've got a family. But but, it was you a know. holiday during the Tata crisis, sorry, when he was uh, yeah. business secretary, right? So every time you see Sadie Javid at an airport, you know that <laughs> something's about to happen. Exactly. Right? But the problem is that you you can go on holiday, but when you come back, make damn sure you, you've caught up. And what he did, as soon as he came back, was send out this letter that really annoyed Tory MPs by saying, by having a few uh, of distortions well, of its own. the media of fake news. Indeed. But, um, oh, and I think what's significant is Theresa May's role in all of this. And yesterday in PMQ, she, she suggested that there'd be a bit of room for manoeuvre. And then Sajid Javid confirmed it and actually talked about the budget. You more be revealed in the budget. And that's so unusual for a minister to stand at the dispatch box and promise more in the budget. It, it's just not normal. And it shows how worried, how rattled they are. You were at the 1922 committee, weren't you, earlier this week? 
and it was obviously a big issue there for backbench touring. It was a big issue. A lot of backbenchers brought it up. They brought up that, and as we already said, social care was a big one. But there is a lot of a sort of residual anger towards Sajid Javid from Tory backbenchers that I speak to over the local plans. And uh, there is some people who think that this is actually a bit of a proxy route. And actually, there's people who just don't like Sajid Javid in communities. They don't like the way he acted over uh, the EU referendum. Yeah, you know, sort of hinting very heavily that he was going to go yeah. for out, yeah. then going for in, and then writing saying recently that he probably was an outer anyway, and it was all like you know I really know. people didn't like the solitude. He, he's that. he's tarnished with the Osborne brush as yeah, well. Absolutely. Don't forget, and he's seen as a real close Osborne ally as well as a as a Remainer because of that and unprincipled. And I think that's going to be tough for him to come back from. To be honest, he's going to have to put in a pretty powerful performance in the next few weeks. I think I think there's a lot of Tories who are who have made it a little bit of a mission to make life very uncomfortable for him. And I think there will be... There will, well, I know there will be other things coming out in the next few weeks. It's also going to have to... I wouldn't be surprised if in the next reshuffle yeah. that he, he's moved. I really wouldn't. And, uh, and someone who's more in tune with Theresa May's thinking could go there, possibly a woman. Great, excellent. So um, let's, let's go to uh, an old favourite, Tony Blair. He was in the headlines last week after calling on Romanians to rise up against Theresa May's hard Brexit plans. But that wasn't the only time Blair found himself in the papers in the past seven days. On Wednesday, the Daily Mail revealed that a former Guantanamo Bay detainee, who was awarded a million pound in compensation by the UK government when he was released, had become a Daesh suicide bomber in Iraq. And now Tony Blair pointed out that Jamal al-Harith, aka Ronald Fiddler, had been paid a million pound by the Tories in 2010. And the XPM stuck the boot into the mail, which he says blamed him for the payment. He lashed out at its hypocrisy, as the paper itself had campaigned for the release of Guantanamo inmates. Now, the mail then blamed its website, Mail Online, for a misleading headline. But amongst all of this, who was the Home Secretary at the time of the payout? Well, it was Theresa May, of course. Now, here's Yvette Cooper in the Commons today asking the government some questions. Would he agree that people across the country will feel sickened at the idea of large payments being made to someone who may have been involved in serious terrorist activity? We know that Mr Al-Harith was subject to monitoring after 2004. Was he subject to monitoring between 2010 when the compensation payments are reported to have been made? and reportedly leaving the country in 2014. Now, yesterday we had an interesting briefing with the Prime Minister's uh, official spokesman when it was put to him, lots of questions about this. And uh, my colleague, Mr Paul War, who is sitting here, uh, wrote a very funny transcript of of the conversation. And I'm now going to ask Ned to play the role (laughs) of of reporter, and I'm going to play the role of PM's spokesman. So come over here, Ned. Okay, okay. Because this is, I think you need need to... You need to get a feel so for I'm this. Gonna, I'm going to play the role of a reporter. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think you can handle that, playing the role of a reporter? Okay, okay. go on then. Okay, here we go. Go on. Does the Prime Minister agree with the compensation that was given? I'm not commenting. Will she allow future compensation claims? I'm not commenting. Why not? It's an intelligence issue. No, it's not. It's a taxpayers' money issue. I'm not commenting. Can you explain why it's an intelligence issue? I just said, I'm not commenting. It's utterly ridiculous. Our readers are paying money to these people, and whether it's allowed or not, you won't comment. I'm not commenting. Brilliant. 
So there we are. That was a sample there. That actually, that actually changed went on for about five minutes. I don't think we're getting the part in the film. No, do you not? <laughs> no. They're not going to... That's not the, the next... The Telegraph's Chris Hope deserves a, a big shout out there because he asked a lot of those questions. He did. But then he also... He, <laughs> he also, was the man who went, brilliant. But he also descri- <laughs> then described it in the papers Black Wednesday for the government, which uh, was a little bit over the top. I mean, this, this, this basically... Did we give... I'm not... I'm not being pretty over the top of this story, yeah. I'm going to admit, but did we give a million pounds to someone who then went and became a terrorist? Ned, you've been well, looking into well, this? this is, that's the problem, is that both Labour and the Conservatives are involved in this because it was Tony Blair's government who lobbied the Americans to release this guy from Guantanamo Bay, along with the support of the Daily Mail and the Tory MPs who all agreed that Britain should be returned back to the UK when, when they were picked up. And then it was a Conservative government in power, Tony Blair claims, when this compensation was paid out before he went to Syria in 2014. And in the Commons today, um, you had a lot of MPs, Yvette Cooper, Dan Abbott, kind of hammering Ben Wallace, the security minister, to say, you know, tell us, was this money given? Confirm it. And when was it given? And Wallace was saying, I can't tell you because there's a legal agreement between the government, whether that government was a Conservative government or a Labour government, and this man that went to Syria, not to release the details. So it's now coming down to this very kind of minute details about what happened when and what they can reveal and when. And I'm not quite sure where this ends up because if they've now said, we can't tell you what happened because of legal reasons, I don't see how they suddenly say, oh, actually, yeah, go on then. Like, we'll just, we'll just yeah. tell you what happened. Because Wallace said in the comments, you know, for me to reveal this, you're asking me to break the law. And so that, that's what the position they're holding. And it, it, if it breaks and they do reveal, then you can say, hang on a second, haven't you now? So they're in a double bind, aren't they? I mean, not only did we have that ludicrous exchange with the Prime Minister's official Do you think that, he, that he, he misspoke and he said it's an intelligence issue, misunderstanding the question about compensation, and then he had to double down on it? I think that might have happened. But to be fair to him, he obviously had written down on some script somewhere the words intelligence issue. <laughs> and, <it just laughs> and, and he read them out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think the problem then is, as soon as you've said it's an intelligence, intelligence <laughs> issue, there's no going back. You yeah, can't then suddenly yeah. say, oh, it's no longer intelligence issue. Well, I, c- I can talk about this freely. Now, the big mistake he made was when he was asked generally, look, we do this a lot as reporters. We, we say, look, I know you can't talk about the individual case. Can you tell us what the Prime Minister's view is on the principle of paying compensation to former inmates of Guantanamo Bay who then may go off to do something else? And should there be some sort of, you know, obviously some clause within that compensation that you 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 lose the money if you go off and then become a terrorist or a suspected terrorist? You know, and he could have talked about the principle. And I know for a fact that number 10 wished he'd talked about the principle because the Prime Minister, don't forget, made her reputation in the Home Office as being pretty kick-ass hard on the whole thing about Abu Qatada, any kind of suspected terrorist. She's built her political reputation on that hard line and she doesn't want it undermined. And let's be honest, she disputed with Ken Clark repeatedly over various things and it sounds as though Ken Clark entered into this legal agreement, as Ned says, and Ben Wallace repeated, and... As a result, the government are really in a bind legally, not just in terms of the intelligence, what they can say about this guy. Well, the one thing that Wallace did say in the comments as well, though, was this kind of, you know, we'll look into has any of this money that's been paid out to former Guantanamo inmates, has it been uh, misused, if, if, if you will? So they, he did kind of try and move the debate onto that a bit to say we yeah. will look into how that money's money's been spent. And although Chris Bryant, Labour MP, made a good point as well, of course, you know, you, are you worried about being sued by this guy? I mean, he's dead. He's just blown himself up. Ah, but is he? 
Well, because number 10, the other curious thing number 10 said when they were desperate oh, on twist, Wednesday night, <laughs> they said, well, you've got no evidence. You've got no independent confirmation that this, this guy is the guy you say he is. It's, it's in all the newspapers and all the broadcasters. What independent confirmation is there? We then said, well, have you got any independent confirmation? And they said, well, no, 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 because we're, we're not on the ground totally. And we're saying, well, how do you, how do you know? <laughs> but basically, we're then in a situation where number 10's last desperate gambit is, this might not even be this guy. <laughs> Who, I, I have to say just one thing. Ronnie Fiddler, what a name. I know. I mean, you think, you know, it's a sort of we like change, East End you? member of a Carry On movie or something. It's, yeah, or like a Viz character. Uh, it's ex- Ronnie Fiddler. Stay away from him, it's Ronnie Fiddler. Who would have thought? Yeah. I mean, let's, I don't know if he's alive or dead, but, you know. Well, if you're listening, Ronnie... Uh, ring get in, in touch and let us know. Uh, ring in, yeah. It's not a cool show. We we'll just ring in, you know. At Owen J Bennett, Twitter. Just uh, shall I be? T- I he don't probably know, follows I'm probably you. Actually, let's just move on yeah. from this. Shall we? <laughs> You're listening to Commons People, the Huffington Post Politics Podcast. Uh, so where was I last night, Ned? <laughs> no, we were at another book launch. <laughs> I was at a book launch. Right. Not another one. <laughs> Come on. I thought it was a trick question. No, I don't, you know where I was. Where I was I? I wasn't tracking you around. Where was I last night? I don't know where you were last night. I was night. at a book launch. Whose book launch was it? Was it your own book no, launch? No, it wasn't. Jess Phillips's book launch. Ah, okay. Right, she's released a book called Every Woman. And, and I quote from the acknowledgements page at the back, I must thank Owen Bennett and Graham Demonick from the Huffington Post for being my original writing cheerleaders where I've never written more than a postcard. Oh, isn't that so, sweet? There we are, you see. Yeah. We're responsible for Jess Phillips. Hey, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the listeners' eyes oh, yeah. are rolling. <laughs> as we speak. Yeah. Anyway, that leads me nice onto this week's quiz. Oh God! All nice. Right. Thank is you. it about books that your name is in, or book launches you've appeared right, at? Another quiz. No, it is about books written by MPs. Oh, okay. That or not. Good. I'm going to give you a name of a book. You better have a good alternative. And, I you know, haven't, yeah. again, had enough time to oh, think of that. So, um, Resign. If it's, Resign. If it's by an MP, then it's... Um, M people. MP book. And if it's M people. M people. And if it's written by a non-MP, then it's... John just gave a massive sign and a sound engineer. M people or... Ordinary people. We're just ordinary people. Yeah, okay. All right. M people or ordinary people. Okay, right. people. Should have done comedy, shouldn't we? Okay, so common people, ordinary people. Wait, no, it can't be those two. No, to be M you people can't. Or... No, because common people are in the commons. Oh, right, 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 Get right, on right. with right, it. The pod name of this podcast. I don't. Yeah. Okay, yeah. It doesn't matter. Right. Okay, ready. Um, hide her name. <laughs> oh, that sounds like Nadine Doris, so I, and, and one of her lovely sort of uh, sort of novel things. Yeah. I'm going to say M people. Oh God, he got it right, and it was Nadine Doris. It was her second book in 2014. Thank you. They've done uh, really well, her books, haven't they? Yeah, very well. <laughs> yeah? Big fan? Big fan. The 11th Commandment. Um, I'm going to say that. I'm going to say yes as well. MP. Do you know Common which, people. Which MP? No. M people. I'm going to say M people. Go on. Is it Chris Mullen? No, it is Jeffrey Archer. Oh, very oh, good. 1998. Oh, and do you know what the 11th good. Commandment was? <laughs> I've got no idea. Thou shalt not be caught. <laughs> <laughs> There we are. Very good. Very uh, okay, the uh, die trying. That's ordinary people. Die that, trying. That's, yeah, ordinary, that's people. ordinary people. Sure. No, but okay. I'm going to guess. Yeah, it's Lee Child, one of his um, Jack Reacher things. Uh, Morning Star. What? That's a newspaper. Um, <laughs> Morning Star. Morning Star. Um, 
Are I'm you doing that yeah, deliberately? I'm going to go MP people because it just sounds so odd. No, ordinary people. It is a 2016 sci-fi novel by American author Pierce Brown, the third in his Red Rising trilogy. Have you read any of them? No, I have not. Books in general, no. So, so <laughs> uh, random. When she was bad. <laughs> what? Um, dot, 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 that is. When she, when was, she bad, was bad. Dot, dot, um, dot. I'm going to go ordinary people. I don't buy that. I'll either. say M-, M people then, just to be different. It was M people. Technically, it's uh, Louise Mensch. Oh, Nate nice. Bagshaw. Why so Louise Bagshaw? Because it was written before she became an MP. Oh, I see. But right, right, right. For the purpose of this nonsense, yeah, that's reading that. Uh, okay, uh, the clematis tree. Oh, that's that. That rings a bell. Um, why does that ring a bell? Does it ring a bell because it's an MP or because I've seen it that's at, the name at of home the in a book ball. club? <laughs> um, I'm going to say ordinary people. Uh, Edward. Uh, ordinary people. No, Anne Widdicombe. Oh, I knew it. Oh, I knew what's that it. about then? Uh, don't know. <laughs> Didn't know about the research. It's fiction. Uh, the Devil's Tune. Um, ordinary people. Yeah, ordinary people. You I made it up. Can't believe you forgot this. It's Ian Duncan Smith's book. Oh, it was published in 2003. And let me let me read you. Let me read Is you it an autobiography? No, no. He wrote a novel. We wrote a, a novel. A thriller, 2003. Oh, wonderful. And it and it came out literally just as like he got sat on leadership. Let me read you a review of it. I honestly wish I didn't have to say this because it feels like kicking a man when he's down, but really it's terrible. Human sympathy strains in one direction, critical judgment the other. Terrible, terrible, terrible. <laughs> so Daily Telegraph, you there, IDS's only book. And in fact, it was released as a hardback and plans for it to be released as a paperback were shelved because it sold so poorly. Shelved, get it? Yeah. Well, uh, so there we are. Did he also thank Owen Bennett for discovering... <laughs> for being him. the devil. Or writing the tune. Right, yeah. <laughs> right I think there, he's right. annoyed at the end. Thank you to Owen Bennett for persuading me not to write anymore. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and finally, the Brexit Club. Oh, I don't uh, know who that's by. That uh, is definitely ordinary people by by, by an extraordinary journalist. Thank you very I've much. Never heard of it. Though. Available. No one has. Some, some of the officers today said to me, "When's your book coming out?" Oh, great, <laughs> idiots. Anyway, that is this week's quiz. Well done. I liked it. In bowl case of, you missed it. Bowl of, yeah, we're going to do in case you missed it now. Uh, Martha is not here, so she's missing the in case you missed it, which is going to blow my mind. But uh, Ned, you are <laughs> you are you can be Martha. Cool. Yeah. So Martha, I, tell us about in case you missed it. So, it's about schools. Right. So, the story this week that the government's going to spend more money on uh, building free schools over the next few years. I think it's around nine, ten billion um, compared to the total budget they've got to refurbish all existing uh, you know, normal schools, which is quite a commitment from a, a controversial policy when you've got school buildings that are, what, 40, 50, 60 years old that are, that are kind of crumbling again to then pump all that cash. Into, into a free school project. It's quite a thing. I mean, basically, it's all because a lot of these free schools are being built in areas where the property prices are mm. huge. And as a result, the government is paying a premium. And it's buying the land as well yeah. to build new schools on, which is why it's costing so much money. Absolutely, because it doesn't want to have sort of sort of a, a leasehold problem. But the NAO, who are, I hate to say, experts, have who, decided that... The NAO are the... Financial the... experts. The National Audit Office. Right. They're the watchdog for everything that Whitehall spends. And they are financial experts. And Michael Gove, who we know doesn't like experts, Absolutely might not. be a bit upset because this was his pet policy. Mm. Free schools, expand them, have lots and lots of them. And actually, let's cut some corners and maybe pay some extra money to make sure it happens. David Cameron loved the idea as well. They all thought this was one of the most radical policies of the last government. And under Theresa May, it continued to expand as well. But what the, the audit office are saying is that actually 
you know, when you've got so many other normal schools, you know, in desperate need of, of renovation, does this make financial and, sense? And particularly when they're building some free schools or plan to in areas that are, you don't need more school places. So they're going to yeah. b- spend money on building a free school, which costs loads of money, but there's already enough school places for the kids in the area. Yeah, That's I mean, particularly in those areas, and that will go down really badly. But again, it shows how London centric a lot of our politics is because let's be honest, free schools in London are actually. Um, meeting a demand that there are not enough places in London free schools actually appear and parents love them because they they have a brand new school with pretty good standards and you know you can finally get your kid into a school nearby so they are popular in London there's no question about that Um, and a lot of those schools in London have struggled they've been in free prefabs or whatever so you can see why the government wants to spend the money the problem is that outside London it looks like you're you're just not meeting their needs and the free schools outside London are being built in the places where there is really, you know, an excess of places. That was good. I, I, I mean, I, I missed that. So I learned something from you that. You missed well, it. I missed well, it. Thanks so to Martha. Thank for doing you, it. Martha, for doing it. And, no uh, trouble. Voice yeah. <laughs> changed. Anyway, uh, let's do uh, the Brexit thing. Here's a jingle. Okay, so it's been a bit of a weird week in Brexit world because um, we had the House of Lords doing their thing and Theresa May decided to go and sit in there and watch. I know what you're doing, Lords, as if like... It was- you know, it's like cameras and like it's on telly. No, I'm going to come and sit at the foot of the throne. Yeah, it was really good, that. Right? Like, you look pretty subservient. It doesn't matter. And I'm going to watch you as you talk. Like Parliamentary nice trolling. It was brilliant, it was, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it was. was. Anyways. And then like other people like Bernard Jenkins showed up like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's right. We're here now. That's what I loved about it. It was just like a sort of tag team. And they, they had this sort of rota where, you know, Stuart Jackson, Kwasi <coughs> Kwarteng, you know, everyone would turn up, all these Brexit MPs, backbenchers, as well as ministers. And it wasn't just Theresa May. When Theresa May left, David Liddington stayed there. Boris Johnson turned up. Not many people spotted this because it's very difficult to get an actual still image of, of what's happening on the Lords in the in the Maybe that's where he was trying to get to an ocean around So Boris was there. A series of ministers obviously deliberately decided to make their presence felt. But the Lords, I mean, it was all talking this week. The amendment's going to come next week. So I don't think really it was all a bit of a hullabaloo about nothing. But speaking on a visit to Estonia... Brexit Secretary David Davis, remember him, said basically that it's going to be years and years before we get British citizens to do the jobs which um, European migrants do. Don't expect just because we're changing who makes a decision on the policy, the door will suddenly shut. It won't, said David Davis. Finally putting to bed the claim <laughs> that leaving the EU would reduce immigration. Thank God that wasn't what the referendum was 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 fought on. And then uh, alongside that, um, one of the French presidential candidates, Emmanuel Macron. Is that right? Very good. Thank you. Uh, he, for some reason, he went and visited Theresa May this week. Apparently he asked for a meeting. So he just popped onto Downing Street. And he's, he came out of the meeting and was like, yeah, great. Basically, I'm just going to nick all your bankers, all your academics, all your researchers. are all going to come to France because uh, it's going to be better than being here. So that was nice. So, <laughs> in, so in the Farron v Farage oh, scale, yeah. I've got to say, Farron, you know, Farron, definitely more because Farron than we're going to keep the immigration going to David Davis. Um, all the banking stuff's going to go, which proves Farron right. So um, this yeah. is like... Farron must be loving it. I mean, I, I look at you, Ned, no, as if like, you've got like, some like, kind of like <laughs> connection, spiritual, like <laughs> Professor X style connection to Farron. Yeah, well, I agree. I think, I think, as in, that's why I was, I was nodding. That doesn't work on podcasts, does it? But, no, 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 no. but it is. The two things you it's mentioned, an audio but, um, experience. And I think we've been saying for the last few weeks, you know, Farage has had week after week of kind of a success, as it were. But now we're getting more into nitty gritty, and it is kind of, you know, it, the, the Tim Farrons of the world can point to these examples and say, look. We told you these things before, and now they're coming true. Or look, 
Like and we had the immigration statistics out today, which showed a fall in net migration. And the Prime Minister's official spokesman was like, this is really good. And I felt like, just like, but why is it good? Like, it's so arbitrary, isn't yeah. it? Like, it's good because it went down to 100,000, but why? And there's, I've never really had the explanation for why, other than because it might it's, win us some it's votes. It's really good to meet that thing we made up. Yeah, basically. it just seems really odd, which basically costs us a referendum. Yeah. Because they're thinking we want net migration to be below 400,000. So every month we're <laughs> meeting our targets, right? <laughs> and they, well, they actually maybe could have done because they could yeah. just make a number up. And exactly. Why not make an... The other, thing that's more, Sorry, think, the other thing that's more Farron than Farage this week is the fact that actually just today, bubbling under the surface, is this suggestion that the government may make a fresh concession in the House of Lords to avoid a defeat on two things. One, on uh, this idea of a meaningful vote on the final Brexit package that Theresa May comes up with. MPs really, really importantly think that actually this is really significant you know there's no point restoring sovereignty to britain unless parliament can decide on the final deal now in the in the commons that was all said at the dispatch box look we're not going to write this into the bill we're just going to give you a verbal assurance it's there's a word around that actually in the lords they might either make it a stronger verbal assurance or they might even write into the bill now if they do that'll be pitched as quite a good victory for labor and for the lib dems and well let's see let's see actually whether or not they do write into the bill i'm skeptical myself but you never know it might be another example of the government trying to string people along when all along it knew it would actually give this concession before we go dear listener don't worry you're nearly done you can go out into the real world um let's just do a very quick edit of the different results right so i'm going to spin them okay so which results by election yeah yeah, okay oh so so labor lost both of them (laughs) but corbyn will cling on won't he right next one Oh, Labour won both of them. Oh, Corbyn will cling on, won't he? The next one. Oh, Labour lost one of them. Oh, well, Corbyn will cling on. That covers it, doesn't it? That's, That's not bad, right. actually. It's a yeah. good, good summary. That's basically it, He's isn't going it? nowhere. He's going nowhere, is he? Right? That's it. So, and then Nuttall, he's... That he's got a big Ned, problem. You look really scared by this. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. It's all right. Not all stay. I know you like him. <laughs> Ned likes Nuttall. You know, leave him alone. Absolutely. But as we said today, Paul Nuttall, if he does lose Stoke, as we've just revealed on HuffPost, yeah. he's now thinking of bottling at the Andrew Marr show on Sunday. That's not a good look. If you lose, you should still go on the Marr show and you should say, actually, all right, we lost this contest, but Brexit means that UKIP's still got a role. We've still got a, a role in keeping the government's feet to the fire and making sure that Labour doesn't abandon working class people and working class values. That's what we should be saying. Let's see whether he does. All right, write that down, Paul. Right, excellent. So if he says that on Sunday, we know he's a listener to the show. Of course his buddy is. Right, thanks everyone. See you next week. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.